scripture reading this morning is found in uh, Luke 2, verses 10 and 14. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Too many technical things here, but we'll get started. Good morning, everybody. Certainly glad to see you. And John, a special welcome to you. I haven't seen you for a few weeks. I hope you're feeling better. Good. This is part one this week. Next week will be part two of the real Bible Christmas story. There was only one real Christmas, you know. The rest are just all anniversaries. Only the Bible tells us of the true Christmas. The Bible tells us the real story. Jesus Christ, the creator of our planet in space. One day he took off his priestly robes, his crown, and left the seat where he was sitting beside the eternal God in the throne room of the universe where the Father and the Son control all things in their vast universe. Decision had been made. One day Jesus, the creator of all, took off all these things and came down here to this dark planet and became a baby. How can this be? It has often been spoken this way, the baby he became was altogether God as though not at all human, and he was altogether man as though not at all God. This is way beyond man's ability to reason and think and understand. It does not fit in with our science. Here is a major point. The believer, the Christian, takes this fact from the Bible on faith. If you doubt the Bible then you do not believe. But we're invited to, as David tells us, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Psalms 34, 8. Here we have the invitation that billions of people on this planet have accepted. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Yet billions have taken the name of Christian and followed their master to the foot of the cross, which is the highest place anyone can be on this earth, kneeling at the foot of the cross. What if Jesus had not come to this planet to save us? We would all be hopelessly lost forever, never to be heard of again. Instead, we have a future in the earth made new in the promises of the book of Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. The ugly truth is that at the time of the flood, After Noah preached his heart out for 120 years, 
There were only eight people saved out of all those people. At the time of Sodom and Gomorrah, when God had to destroy Sodom because of the ugliness and the filth there, only three people eventually were saved out of that whole city. Are you ever discouraged about thinking, well, could I possibly be saved at the end of time? We have good news for you from the Bible in Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb, This lamb was the same God who became a babe in Bethlehem. Oh, 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 oh. 
A Christian by the name of Lanscombe wrote a beautiful poem, if, you call it, if you'd call it that. It's entitled, He Still Lives. Some of you may have heard it, but I think most of you perhaps have not. More than 2,000 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in abject poverty He was reared in obscurity. He did not travel extensively. Only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he lived. That was during his exile when he was still a baby. His life work was confined to a little place much less in size than a state of New England. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. His relatives were inconspicuous, uninfluential, and had neither training nor education. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled the doctors of religion of his day. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the water billows as though it were a pavement, and he hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitude without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, yet all the libraries of this country could not hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters of all time. He never practiced medicine, and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors who've ever lived. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun. And yet the leader, no leader ever has had more volunteers who have under his orders made more rebels surrender and give up their guns. Without a shot, being fired. He is the star of astronomy because he set the planets in space. He is the rock of geology because he made everything in geology. He is the lion and the lamb of the zoological kingdom because he created all. He is the revealer of the snares that lurk in the darkness the rebuker of every evil thing that prowls by night, the quickener of all that is wholesome, the adorner of all that is beautiful, the reconciler of all that is contradictory, the harmonizer of all discords, the healer of all diseases, the savior of all mankind. He fills the pages of theology and hymnology. Every prayer that goes up to God's throne goes up in his name. 
The names of the past proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of the past scientists, philosophers, and theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man abounds more and more. Through time, though time has spread more than the 2,000 years set when the people of this generation and the people at the foot of his crucifixion, yet he still lives. King Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. Death could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heaven, glory proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, feared by the devils as our personal living Savior. This man, as you know, is Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Savior of us all. It is one great leap from the throne of God to a major in a stable. From the top of glory to the bottom of humiliation, from the bosom of God to the breast of a woman, from all powerful to a helpless babe, from ultimate glory to total obscurity, from infinite riches to abject poverty, from a son to a servant. For he made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He put on humanity that we might put on divinity. He became the son of man that we might become the sons of God. To try to understand and appreciate his condescension, we must look at him in his pristine state in heaven. Then we may get a glimpse where the brightest of intelligences cannot define sickness, sorrow, or death. For such words are not in heaven's vocabulary. How must the angels have felt when told that he who had thrown the planets in space, the racing planets, the whirling worlds, the luminous suns, that he who created a world with its wonders of animals and beauty and flowers and the majesty of rippling brooks, glassy seas and lofty mountains, that he who placed the twinkle in the stars, the sparkle in the planets, and the blaze of the sun, he who did all this was going to lay aside his white robe for a peasant's gown, that the infinite upon whose shoulders the universe hangs was going to become a helpless as a baby in a borrowed manger. Condescension, he was rich, but for our sakes he became poor. How poor? Ask Mary his mother. Ask the camel drivers. Ask the wise men who traveled 1,500 miles from the country we now know as Iran in the Far East to give him gifts. Examine the records of real estate and see how many farms and city blocks he owned. He did not own the boat in which he cruised the lake, nor the beast upon which he rode into Jerusalem, nor the cradle in which he slept, nor the grave in which he was buried. 
He cruised the lake in another man's boat. He rode on another man's beast. He slept in another man's cradle. He was buried in another man's grave. He arose when his father called from another man's tomb. He rode on no fast limited trains. He ever walked over the rough hills of Judea on errands of mercy. He was poor. For on one occasion he saw the birds flying, the foxes running, and said, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If he had a purse, it was often empty. For once he needed a small amount to pay his taxes, and he had to perform a miracle to get it. He was poor, so very poor. Contrast this with where he was from, where he had all the glory of the universe and the millions of angels who adored him. We can think of only two well-to-do people who espoused to his cause while he lived on earth. When he died, few people mourned him, but black crepe was hung over the sun. When he died, the world rushed in to take inventory of his stock. And all they found were the clothes that he wore by day and slept in at night. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Every door was closed against him, but a stable door. Behold him, the first night out of heaven, lying in a bed of straw, He had a purpose, and it was a stupendous one. His mission was purposed in the mind of God before the foundation of the world, before the mud hills of the earth were laid, before he had stretched out the heavens like a scroll, or scooped out the valleys, or piled up the mountains, or carpeted the earth with that verdant green, or laced it with running brooks and flowing rivers, before he had set the furnace of the sun on fire or called the queen of the night into orbit or the sons of God shouted for joy. Before all that, he and his father planned for a cross and crucifixion on Calvary's hill to save mankind from himself and to give mankind the keys, the keys to the heavenly kingdom where there is no death nor crying and the former things are all passed away. The method Christ used in accomplishing his purpose was a novel one. He did not employ the printing press to create public sentiment in his favor. He did not create a new political party to lift him by its vote. (laughs) He did not amass a strong army and hurl it against a weaker one. In accomplishing his purpose, he did not rely on force, as did Caesar and Napoleon, Alexander and the other generals on earth. He accomplished his purpose. He relied only on the one tangible thing, namely truth. In coming to this world, he had but one objective. He did not come to save us from sorrow, for he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He did not come to save us from temptation, for he was tempted in all points like we are. Nor did he come to deal with the wrongdoing 
but rather with our wrong being, our wrong being. He came to deal with that thing that blights homes and breaks hearts and digs graves. He came to deal with that one who rejected and insulted God, that killed the prophets, that robbed heaven. He made hell the high capital of the universe. He came to transform us from the sensual to the spiritual. By extracting the hereditary proneness to evil, we all have. His purpose in coming is set forth in the following text of Scripture. For God sent not his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3.17 Now once at the consummation of the ages he hath been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.28 It is beyond our human intelligence to understand that the God, the God of creation, the God who has existed from eternity past, the God who has prone, who has power to create worlds, such as is described in our Bibles in Genesis, would leave his throne of glory to become a totally helpless baby. He grew to manhood like any other man would do. Then he became a servant and at one point washed the disciples' feet. He died on a hill outside of Jerusalem to save mankind. Then God the Father sends his angel Gabriel to call him and wake him so that he could come forth from that tomb and ascend to his Father in the heavenly throne room there to minister and to work out our salvation so that one day we will be with him. This same Jesus will come again in the clouds of heaven. Our scriptures tell us that God the Father is the only one who knows the day or the hour of Jesus coming to this earth. But one day, oh one day, in the future, in the fullness of time, God's timetable, he will say to his son, Son, this is the day. Let's go get our redeemed. The day we have waited for. Amen. We need to rescue our redeemed ones on that planet earth down through space comes the retinue Jesus King Jesus surrounded by millions upon millions of his angels described in the New Testament a loud trumpet blast that will awake the very dead every eye will see him there are only two classes of people at that time those who welcome him and those who run and hide. Let's look in on what the Apostle John says on the Isle of Patmos when he was writing the book of Revelation. Reading from the Bible, Revelation 22, verses 1 to 7. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, 
and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, but they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. This is the real Christmas, my friends. This is the real Christmas. No tinsel or Santa Claus here. Just truth and promises from Jesus and his word. Oh, Father in heaven, help us to really understand the real Christmas and what it means. It's that Jesus came here to a lost world, to a lost person like you and I, and ask us to join him in the fight against the evil one. And then one day, in the fullness of time, God says, that's it, it's all over. I'm going down there to get my redeemed. May we be among that number. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. So